Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you're listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday, and enjoy the talk. Sunday for September 23rd, 2018. Koyo Kobose here. So very, very glad you joined us. <clears throat> this is, uh, in Japanese Buddhism, what is called Ohigan season. Uh, Ohigan is a religious observance on both the spring and the fall equinoxes. And it's sort of, sort of like maybe Lent um, in the sense that for a whole week, uh, a time of self-reflection, okay? And maybe, you know, well, Lent, I guess you're supposed to give up something uh, and it's not that specific in Ohigan tradition, but uh, I just remember that in my father, Reverend Gyome Kubos's book, Everyday Suchness, Ohigan, in one of his articles. And so I thought I'd like to read some of his words. Twice annually, we observe Ohigan. Astronomically, it is on Ohigan Day that the sun rises directly from the east and sets directly in the west. Thus, the length of the day and night are equal. Ohigan represents a season that's not too hot, not too cold, which sort of symbolizes the middle path in Buddhism. Therefore, for many centuries, the one week during this time of the equinox has been selected as Ohigan Week to make an opportunity to gather at the temple, listen to lectures, do some social work, observe memorial services to express gratitude, and in all, to make time for self-reflection. What am I? 
What is the truth of things? This is the significance of Ohigan season and services. Now, Ohigan is a Japanese word. O is an honorific, and Higan means the other shore. Uh, but Higan is really an abbreviation of Tohigan. Toh means to, to go across, and Higan means the other shore. So Tohigan means to go across to the other shore. <clears throat> now, the Toh is very important okay. because Higan, unless we're very careful, becomes a concept. But To, to go across, to going, is not a concept. It's a movement. It's a verb. It's experience. It is living. So go to the other shore is the important part. The going. So I'd like to emphasize to more than the Higan itself. And that means the going across means to live each day. Uh, it's the journey. It's not just the means to an end. If the means are perfect, it's only natural to reach the perfect end. So the means in this sense is more important than the goal. I should not say more important as that divides the means and ends into two, whereas means are ends and ends are means. Knowing this, Higan becomes perfectly understandable without attaching to the verb to, to go to the other shore, is. To go itself is the other shore. Now, since Higan season is the time for self-reflection, i like to speak about the ego self. Uh, <clears throat> such an emphasis in our civilization on the development of the ego self. Um, we have such strong inclination to support, develop, expand, affirm the self. And... Whether we talk about the ego, the I, the self, it's all the same thing. Okay? I have the right, you have no right to be in my way. We should be, the, the term freedom in this context means I should be free to develop and promote myself, the ego. Uh, all of civilization is the pushing out of this I, me, mine. And actually, right understanding means to understand that things are not divided into two opposites like we so often do. You know? We dichotomize some kind of a dimension, whether it's high, low, win, lose, success, fail, emphasize the active rather than the passive. Okay? We want to affirm things rather than negate things. But in the East, 
the attitude is more passive, more more negatively expressed. But this kind of uh, static quality or negativeness is not relative to the positiveness or an affirmation. The Buddhist negation is that negation itself is negated. Uh, a lot of philosophers, they like Kierkegaard and Kant, they they negated everything except they affirmed God. Okay? This was their position. Uh, Shin Buddhism teaches other power, denies the self, and says, hey, rely on not self-power, but other power. Well, when you phrase it this way, that's kind of a dangerous way of understanding. Okay? To all negate the self, you know, self-power, and find the other power. Because it's not two things. There's no other power besides the self. The very realization of the negation of self is itself the other power. So this means this is why you have to deepen self-knowledge, self-reflection, okay? because denying the self and depending upon other power, that's dualistic. And it's not that kind of negation. The very negation itself is affirmation. When you just discard or throw away self, they're right there is the other power. Without losing self, there is no other power. The losing is the other power. Negation is not compared with or opposed to affirmation. So Higan, the other shore, is not over there as compared with here, this shore. When the self is given up, is lost, is there's this true Buddha nature self. Higan to me is this non-ego self, Buddha nature, if you will. No ego, no selfishness. Higan, of course, is not a geographical place over there, the other shore. Nor is it a conceptual world as compared to this world. This very life, when we transcend the individual ego self, the transcending itself is non-ego. You don't have to go find non-ego. We speak of unity, the unity of two things. That's not true unity. Talk more about oneness. Okay. Say like a husband and wife. Oh, they're united as a team. Well, when the husband, Buddha, Buddhist oneness is not that kind of oneness. When the husband loses his ego, the husband himself, or when the wife loses her ego, the wife herself, when all is lost and given up, there's oneness. So oneness is not the putting together of two into one, but it's just losing everything into nothingness. That's oneness, not uniting, but losing. Complete negation is complete affirmation. Whoa. Our tendency is to dichotomize everything and then try to make unity. Well, there's not going to be any kind of unity or harmony when you put two things together. 
Only when you lose yourself, that is, give yourself to what's going on, do you find yourself. This is the basic understanding of Buddhist, Buddhism, of sunyata, suchness, or nothingness. Okay. Uh, we should spell nothingness with a capital N because it refers to not the relativeness of nothingness as compared to somethingness, but it's absolute nothingness, where negation itself is negated. That is a tremendous thing. So, uh, when uh, I'm looking at the the article here, it's kind of I'm just kind of picking and choosing. Okay. Uh, well. Let's see. To me, Ohigan is the non-ego self. It's not non-ego as apart from ego, but in the very fact that I realize in my ego, then I reach non-ego, the Higan. So to me, Higan is very valuable for my own reflections on the teachings. And this year, Higan means non-ego to me, the life of non-ego. Now, of course, Higan traditionally, they observe and emphasize the six parameters. You could take any one of them, and if you take it seriously, each one of them can lead into non-ego selflessness. Selflessness, this is how the article concludes. Selflessness is Higan, the world of Buddha, the world of Nembutsu, the world of oneness, complete negation, which is complete affirmation. This is true life, suchness, O Higan. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so nice to read such words again. We forget the, you can feel some kind of a spirit there. And, uh, uh, you know, we, on our website, we have uh, MP3 files on uh, what used to be Dial of Dharma, and, um, but it's been put on computerized, and uh, you can go there and hear Reverend Gyome Kubos's voice every once in a while. Those who know him, knew him, to hear that voice is something precious, you know? Uh, and it's only a two, three minute Dharma message. Okay. So I, <laughs> I advocate regular use of that service that we offer on our uh, brighton.org website, okay? where you could hear it, the talks alternate between myself and my father. Okay. Well, I'm going to introduce today's guest to give us a Dharma glimpse, Christopher Kakuyo. He was a member of LM9 Group, and uh, he lives in Utah. So, here he is. Thank you, Sensei. I'm grateful for the opportunity I get to be here with you today, sharing a Dharma glimpse. Sundays are early days for me, and I'm usually up before sunrise putting the finishing touches on my Dharma talk for our fellowship here in Salt Lake City. 
sleeping in would be nice, but the quality of the silences just before sunrise are the best. The world is for me at its stillest, its most quiet. And along this line, I want to share a quote from the opening lines of Guillaume Cabose Sensei's chapter on quietness in the center within. It's important to take time to have some quiet moments in our lives. Otherwise, we get caught up in the busyness of always having something going on. End quote. I don't know about you, but I know that I'm entangled in busyness. And the busyness I'm talking about here is, is all the distractions in our lives that keep us from moving into awareness. And we're living at a time that glorifies busyness and disparages quiet. Where the most human of experiences, that one of boredom, is the new cardinal sin. To be bored is the new failure of failures, as Josh Korda, a Theravadan Buddhist teacher, writes. He goes on to say, boredom is now considered a failure worthy of pharmaceutical treatment. Productivity is no longer the means to an ends, but the point of life in itself. The entire goal is to stay busy and you won't have to feel a thing. End quote. I have a few friends that can't stay still. They constantly have to be doing something as if nothing is a crime. Just being around them can be exhausting. Along the same line, have you ever met someone who could not stand silences? Always filling any pause with sound? Is not this incessant and idle talk just another form of busyness? Are we dancing so fast we don't have time to take a close look at ourselves? Even before I found the Buddha Dharma, I had a suspicion that such people were afraid to be quiet. And then I had to ask myself, was I the same? Unwilling to be still because we're afraid of what's in the silence, afraid of ourselves, maybe terrified of acknowledging our own woundedness and worse still feeling it. We have become a society that is being entertained into imbecility and even worse, into a multifaceted, multi-platform, self-imposed, solitary confinement. That's the paradox of a connected age. Whereas Cardinal Sarah has taught, Quote, noise is a deceptive, addictive, and false tranquilizer. The tragedy of our world is never better summed up than in the fury of senseless noise that stubbornly hates silence. End quote. So what are we to do? It's really simple. Be quiet. Slow down. And be still. Thich Nhat Hanh teaches... Quote, silence is essential. We need silence just as much as we need air, just as much as plants need light. If our minds are crowded with words and thoughts, there is no space for us. End quote. So, how is your silence diet? I have to admit, I'm a little on the skinny side. Uh, and this was really driven home recently uh, during our fellowship retreat. One of the greatest gifts of participating in a retreat is the opportunity to enter into silence, and not just with oneself, but with one's community. The power of attentional silence was brought home during our retreat. 
From the opening service until the end of our tea sarana, we practiced noble silence as a sangha. And there were only a few times that we even spoke during discussion groups. Now, for some that attended, they had never even tried to do such a thing as not speaking for two and a half days. It's not as easy as it seems, and I love this uh, story about four monks. So, four monks decided to meditate silently without speaking for two weeks. By nightfall on the first day, the candle began to flicker and then went out. The first monk says, oh no, the candle's out. The second monk said, aren't we not supposed to talk? The third monk said, why must you two break the silence? And the fourth monk laughing says, I'm the only one who didn't speak. I just love that story because it shows how hard it is for us as, as people to not talk. So to help remind the participants, I put up posters with quotes about silence around um, our retreat area. And we did everything. We ate meals in silence. We walked in silence. Um, we sat in silence. It was interesting to watch people eat their meals in silence as a community. Um, and I think that was probably the hardest. And I think it's because we've been hardwired to tell stories around the fire for over 10,000 years. And, and I noticed that it takes time for the silence to soak into our intention. I could feel the energy of our meditation practice shift. Sitting longer was easier. Breathing slowed. Even walking became slower. There was an opening up. Like Rumi writes in one of his poems, quote, the clo close the door of words that the window of your heart may open. End quote. And here is the most interesting thing that happened. After spending two days together in silence, free of the constant storytelling of a life, we were able to simply be showing front and back without words. There was a shift in those that attended. Acquaintances became close friends. Close friends became closer. A deepening connection. A oneness was born in our collective silence. The sound of soundless sound, that sound of oneness. It was as Guillaume Kabosi Sensei writes when he writes, it is in the silence that we see the serenity in the world and in ourselves. This happens because in silence we see that we are one with the world. End quote. Since then, many have volunteered, started projects. There, have been, there has been a deepening of their practice in body and mind. I believe that more than any activity, more than any Dharma talks, the teaching of silence was the most profound for us that weekend as a Sangha. And I'd like to close my Dharma glimpse with this. Sometimes it is the silent sermons that are the most transformative. I now know from my own experience that the words of Guillaume Kabose Sensi are true when he teaches during quietness you breathe together with the whole world we breathe as one. So my wish for us today is that we may all breathe as one. May it be so, and thank you. May it be so.
<clears throat> Gee, as I listened to the to the words, and uh, I was reminded of uh, a teaching that my father said uh, quite often. That's related to. Uh, he would say sufficiency, not efficiency. Now, <clears throat> this takes needs some unpacking. Uh, sufficiency, efficiency, well, we could say efficiency means, hey, stay busy, be productive, you know, hurry up. Okay, You don't want to waste time. Okay, Efficiency means, <clears throat> you know, uh, <clears throat> and when in the name of efficiency, sometimes you hurt other people. You know, you might yell at them or you get lose your patience with people that are not doing things quickly enough, okay, efficiency, efficiently enough like you would. So sufficiency means, you know, just enough to get the job done, to do, you know, to kind of relax, okay? Because when you say hurry and be productive that that's kind of a driving type a attitude okay well i didn't mean to say type a and type b but you know maybe type b is you know type a is supposed to be the busy the stereotype would be the busy uh businessman okay uh <clears throat> whereas a type b you can call that buddhist i guess you know take it easy okay you don't have to hurry you don't have to be so busy. Okay? Sufficiency means you 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 calmly do things that well, you know, just enough that's necessary to take care of things. Because then you take care of all things, you're considerate of others, your other values are a little bit more differently prioritized. Whereas efficiency means, hey, <clears throat> Get the and the end justifies the means, but sufficiency means is the means is the end. It's very important how you, you know, do your work, okay. And the the topic of slowing down. <laughs> just yesterday, I hope it's okay if I tell this story, but uh, 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 lay minister. You know, very active with the uh, supporting the our programs and everything. Uh, his Dharma name is Sayo. The Yo means, of course, the sun. Okay. Uh, well, bright dawn. Okay, so forth. And of course, the sun means light, wisdom, okay, warmth, compassion. Wisdom and compassion, <laughs> two spiritual virtues. Swift sun. Uh, <clears throat> and he really liked this name, and he was, he, he said, yeah, I'm, I'm always swift. I'm always fast in what I do, okay? If I have some plans, boom, I take care of it, <laughs> you know? And this is a good quality, so we're not saying, you know, necessarily one thing over another 
And I thought it was nice because he was saying, eh. he was emphasizing this. He goes, oh. and he was not slowing down and he was being busy and being efficient. Okay. So that's my name, you know, Swift son. And then I just blurted out, uh, <clears throat> well, you, you have, you can be swift to slow down. And he said, hey, and he went to get some paper and pencil to write it down, you know. You know. Uh, yeah, we we need to pause. Sometimes we don't like pauses, right? Or to be quiet, in that pause, uh, has a virtue, to, has, a, has its own efficiency maybe, okay? Make haste slowly. Because it, this kind of a thing holds in for artists. It holds for uh, in sports. You know, if you're in a hurry, uh, well, John Wooden, one of the legends in college basketball, and he's a mentor and hero in many ways, he used to say, you know, make haste slowly, okay? You're going to run a play or you're going to make a move, okay? It comes actually from a very calm place, your mind and what you want to do, okay? And so that hurrying is not necessarily with the body, but it's mental. So I think all these things are related in terms of that calm center, that still center, and everything flows from there. Hey, hey, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a... Beautiful day.